A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. They really wanna jump. Well then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Do Wait a minute. What the ah! He was ready to retire. Now he's gonna wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner. <laughs> If these guys can just stand each other. What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Don't kill anybody. Don't kill anybody. I'm too old for this. Are you as good as you say you are? Nobody can touch me. Suppose we better register you as a lethal weapon. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. Hello and welcome to Smirsh Pod 3, the podcast that relights the fire of 80s action movies and celebrates the decade where the explosion was king. <laughs> was. It was. It was. Uh, this week we'll be following the wacky adventures of two newly paired cops who are complete opposites and must put aside their differences in order to catch a drug gang of smugglers. Yes, it's a lethal weapon. And joining me to count down the days until retirement is journalist <laughs> and broadcaster Samira Ahmed, back by popular demand. You say that. It, uh, it's <laughs> okay. true. It's true. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, who can be found on Twitter as at Samira Ahmed UK. I've just put headphones on for no reason. I'm yeah, you don't need off. to do that. Okay. I'm going to do like it. to be in control. Um, I saw this in the cinema. Did you? And I'm still not entirely sure why. Um, because I don't think I was particularly into action films. I just think there were no other films in the mid-1980s, apart from maybe really dodgy European porny art house films. No, um, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and this is 86? 86, I think. 86. So I think I'd just done my A-levels and I was going off to university. Or it might be 87. Clearly, yeah. I had too much time on my hands. So I have, I have specific... It's rather I can remember specific scenes and thinking, oh... That's quite good acting. Yes, yes, it's a it's a nice balance of it's got it's got the action you want. It's got some really good dialogue. From Shane Black's first big screenplay yeah, he was that he sold. Twenty two, and I think the thing is, having seen the Nice Guys when it came out recently, which he also wrote, mm. you can see exactly the same kinds of imagery. I should say, I thought I enjoyed this at the time. I'm not sure I did. I watched it again over the weekend with my teenagers, mm. and. They were really disappointed. They had very high hopes for it. Really? Yeah, and so my daughter came up with a really interesting theory. She said, the thing is, action films are like musicals. You're supposed to spread the musical numbers or the action scenes throughout the film. You don't have them all bunched up in the back half hour, which yeah. is what happens in Lethal Weapon. And each of the scenes has to move the action forward. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really good that an action scene is like a musical number. I think that's spot on. Yeah, because there's quite a lot of action films where it's either front-loaded or back-loaded and the, the middle suffers. Yeah. If they spread it out like a musical would, 
it does work because they get that right in the second one. The second one's got a better spread. Right, and I also confuse this like with the second one, which I did go to see in the cinema with that one's one Patsy Kemsit and yes. Evil South Africans. It's right. Was that you can always tell who the villain of the time is? Yes. But I told my kids, I especially said, oh, you know, the thing about Mel Gibson is he always dislocates his shoulder in all his films because he can uh, do it, yeah. and he doesn't do it. in They this only one. brought that out in the second one. Yeah. Same in the second one, they brought in the fact that he's obsessed with the Marx Brothers. That doesn't come up in this one. No. And the terrible, terrible haircut. Yeah, that gets increasingly worse as well. Two, he's got like a mane, and in three, he's got like this light, a huge... Thing. Well, he sort of morphs into Tina Turner, kind of in uh, Mad Max, kind of that kind of The Thunderdome. Uh, but also, I thought, what his hair actually reminded you of, Animal from the Muppets. Yeah. He's a bit like that in this. He's essentially, the character is based on Animal in the Muppets, if he were a cop. And um, Roger's a bit like Kermit. Which one's Roger? Uh, Roger Murtaugh. Oh, yeah. Danny Glover. Danny Glover, well... The other thing which has been a joy is realising that it's thanks to Danny Glover that this film is bearable. And I did a big career retrospective with Danny Glover mm. at the BFI last year or a couple of years ago. And the thing is, if you've only ever seen these films, you'd think he's a bit of a hammy actor because he has to kind of get more and more yeah. outraged. And there's a scene where there's that guy who's jump, who wants certainly to jump off the building. Mm. How Mel Gibson gets him down is like, you know, a big thing. And Danny Glover drags him into a shop and basically shouts at him, I can't believe you just did that. Now, that's the scene I picked to show in the career retrospective. And I could see Danny Glover almost wincing in pain because Danny Glover is an actor of such nuance and talent and ability. If you see the rest of his films, he's mm. an incredibly sexy person, if I may say so. Mm. And I just think he was thinking, what, what, what was this moment in my career? And it feels like there's cocaine in the air in that film. Oh, very much so. Everything is so hyped up and so extreme. Quite frankly, I don't know how we got through the 80s for those of us who were there. No, don't, you, that's the funny thing. When you look back on the creative decisions that were made in the 80s, you can clearly point at, that's cocaine, that's cocaine, that's cocaine. You know, with even some of the film pictures that made it to screen, you're just like, there's no way that's not drug-related in some way or other. And that's why the 90s is such a mixed bag, I think. Everyone's on come down from the 80s. Yeah. I mean, we should talk a bit about the structure of the film without going through it scene by scene, because yeah. actually the thing that grounds it is um, the Danny Glover character is turning 50. It's his mm-hmm. 50th birthday and he's you know, looking forward to winding down. 50 isn't very old. No, but when I saw this, I felt that he was ancient. He was. You know who plays his wife? Yes. Darlene Love. Who's she's sing- this famous singer from the 50s and 60s. She, was, she sang, I think her band was The Sorrows, but she also basically sang in The Crystals. Um, and there's a song that Phil Spector did the famous version of, but it's a song that she first performed. She sang with Elvis Presley on his comeback yeah. special. I'm pretty sure she's on all those bills that kind of were touring Britain with the Beatles in the 60s. Yes, yeah, she sang Christmas Baby Please Come Home, which yes, is one of the best. Yes, favourites, isn't she? It's in the opening titles of Gremlins. It's that good. Yes. And so... I kind of feel she's slightly wasted. And, and then there's this one running joke. I mean, this is a lot less sexist than you might expect it to be compared to something like The Nice Guys, which I loathe, if I may say so. Mm. But there's a running joke about how she can't cook. Yes. And it's just such a lame running joke. <laughs> yeah. I feel like she's in this because Richard Donner likes to put to do stunt casting sometimes. And I feel that... Because we should yeah. talk about that as well. This yeah. is directed by Richard Donner, who is one of my heroes. I so think he he's did a, the original Superman. He did Superman, yeah. He did um, The Goonies. Did he? No, he didn't do... I confused him with John Badham. He did War Games. Yeah, John Badham did War Games. And of course, the thing is, did... This is Richard Donner, did you say? Yes. So have you ever seen his version of Superman 2? Yes. It's not very good. It's not very good. No. Um, but then I don't like the actual version of Superman 2 either. The okay, Lester Cut. controversial. Yeah, I don't think it's a very good film. I love the first one. I think it's beautiful. But I don't like either version, really. Oh. I like the ending of the second one. That's I good. The second one. Have you seen the, the multiple, the Scooby-Doo ending of the second one? Have you seen... Yeah. Yeah, where the, where the United Nations police turn up at the Arctic. Yeah, and, and arrest them. them yeah. Anyway, sorry, a slight digression. But yeah, I find Richard Donner an odd director because he's done some great films. But this is baffling and I can't help thinking... Because this came out just before Die Hard, and Die Hard, mm. my children adored. Yes, it's a much better film. Um, and I think Die Hard changed the game on action films. And Definitely. Lethal Weapon has somehow luckily got swept in with being one of the big, great action films of the 80s, but I don't think it is. I think it introduced a genre just like Die Hard did. Yeah. Die Hard introduced a genre of a schlub who's caught in a place full of terrorists and has to pick them off one by one. Lethal Weapon introduced the genre of buddy cops. Because that was kind of in existence before, but it was never this kind of high concept before, oh, where one of them's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it probably led to Turner and Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But, you know, one of them's crazy, one of them's normal, and they have to opposites attract, you know, like um, Paula Abdul sang yes. with MC Scat Cat. <laughs> um, it's that kind of thing. I think that they that this film introduced that genre as well, but Die Hard definitely changed things because before Die Hard, everyone in an action movie had to be the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And after that, there could be a guy literally wearing a vest with no shoes on. Yeah, well, in, in, um, in Mel Gibson's case, with no nothing on. Well, nothing on. You see you his think, bare bottom. You see, so he lives in a trashy trailer. On the beach, though. Yeah, I know. Well, not bad, but LA is, it all looks lovely. Yeah. Um, and yes, you see his bottom and he's watching trashy TV. Now, I have a theory that that whole plot line around him influenced... What's the James Bond film where Daniel Craig is contemplating suicide? Is it Skyfall? Well, you know where you, he's in Turkey and yeah. he's living in a, running a bar. So there's a and scene... then Spectre, we all contemplated suicide. <laughs> So there's a scene, and I remember watching this in the cinema thinking, oh, that's quite good acting, that is, when um, Mel Gibson is mourning his dead wife and he comes back from a day at work and he puts the gun in his mouth and he starts yeah. to cry. And I don't know what he was really thinking. Maybe he's flashing forward to all the terrible things he would do in the future in real life. Yeah. But it's actually a great moment of acting, and I couldn't help thinking that's exactly what that James Bond scene was referencing, the idea of a, a cop who's kind of lost it because his personal life has fallen apart. Yeah, I'd really like that scene though. I think um, I think Mel Gibson at this point, because what you also must remember is that this is his first big American movie. Because he was in Mad Max, but they're Australian. Yeah. And Lethal Weapon. This is his like Russell Crowe moment, if you like. This is him. Well, there's interesting bursting comparisons through. to be made, aren't there? Yes, there are. Of what they went on to do, and they were both lovely. Mm. So. The other thing I remember is not just having seen Gallipoli, which was kind of his breakthrough film, I think. Oh, and Year of Vision Dangerously as well, I suppose. And that too. Yeah. Well, you see, that's isn't that about the same time? About the same time, yeah. yeah. With Sigourney Weaver. Well, this is the, the first big tentpole blockbuster, if you like. Yes, with yeah. his, his name on it. Yeah. Um, but I remember one of his early films, which I think is 82, um, or even earlier, and it was called Tim, and it was based on a Colleen McCulloch, you know, Thornbird's um, soapy. Yes. And it was about... <laughs> You couldn't imagine them making that. It's about a middle-aged woman who starts an affair with the young, very much younger man who clearly has learning difficulties or is on the spectrum of some kind. That's the Mel Gibson character. He's a bit, in those days, you just said the term simple. And I remember watching it with my mum and my aunts and everyone loving it. I even went and read the novel. And I look back and I, I cringe mm. at the dodginess of it. And there's, it builds up to this big scene on the wedding night where she's going to basically teach him about sex. But he was very pretty. Very pretty. And a bit simple in um, that film. And in real life, when he had a few drinks, uh, he yeah, he said some bad things. Um, also, he did the remake of Mutiny on the Bounty. That's he was a good Mr. Film. Christian. That is okay. I really like that film. Again, I saw that in the cinema. It's one of the last films to have a proper interval with great music. Is that Vangelis music? You're right. I think it yeah, is. It's Anthony yeah. Hopkins. And, yes. Um, oh, yeah. There's lots of great actors. This is film. back in Anthony Hopkins' period where he just talked like that all the time and shouted every time. <laughs> He, he grew out of that when he did uh, Hannibal Lecter, yeah. and he had to say it very slowly. Yeah, see, and, it, and it's interesting because again, Russell Crowe had his Master and Commander. Yes, they've both done some really great films. There's no denying that Mel Gibson could do great acting, and he does have those beautiful blue eyes. He film. is beautiful. I mean, I recently had to do Beyond Thunderdome, and he's gorgeous in that. And I think he's nice in this. And he actually did a good Hamlet, even if he was too old. Yeah, he did a very good Hamlet. But like Russell Crowe, something went wrong somewhere. It's yeah. a taint. Personal demons. Personal demons. But, you know, haven't all the great artists got personal they demons? They all get personal demons. But it just, the ego grew, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. There's also that point where you've come to realise that, A, you're getting a bit older, and B, no one's really going to see your films anymore. That must be quite painful to go through. And C, younger guys are coming up every five minutes who are better looking than you. Oh, you just made me think when you said older, um, not wanting to see your films. I saw that, what's that film he did about what women want? Oh, you know, God, where he, yeah. And there's a scene in it where doesn't he put tights on in the bath? Yes. And I just feel ill remembering that moment. I and then he gets electrocuted and he can suddenly read women's minds. Yeah. They've just remade that, but flipped it. Oh, God. Called What Men Want. That, surely that would be absolutely unrateable. Yeah. You don't want to know what's going on in men's minds. You don't. No. no but I then don't. that film has has mind. the thing where women are just completely benign and think about nothing of any interest. And he's able to use that against them, <laughs> which is just like one of the worst concepts for a movie ever. Uh, I think it was written by a woman as well. Wasn't it Nancy yeah, Myers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Good grief. Um, I had something else in my notes here. What's this say? 
Oh, can we just talk about Shane Black then, who wrote this? Yes. Because you went on to write The Last Boy Scout, which I remember seeing, which is quite an interesting action film with... That was Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, Willis and Damon, Damon Wayans. Wayans about American football. About yeah, and, and he had a period where every script he did sold for a million dollars. But The Nice Guys, which people made such a fuss about, it's really annoyed me. It didn't upset me, it just annoyed me because it has exactly the same beginning as... Um, a lethal weapon in that it's a kind of porny remember it's a sort of naked um, porn actress she's yeah a, a little boy finds a naked woman yeah and she's yeah. basically she died in a car accident it seems but she's lying like a centrefold yeah. naked um, on the boot of the car and I just thought it was just creepy mm. and and all the male film critics who went to see it also felt it was it did not come across as a funny joke it just came across as unpleasant it was unnecessary it was something that was is from this period it's from the mid 80s you'd yeah, expect and I, I mean the film is set in the 80s beginning of this film you see a naked woman yeah well, well it's all it's all it's a very hollywood version of of nudity yes. so you know it's all sort of strategically placed and um, it doesn't feel real. And I, for a minute I thought, is it Tracy Lords, the kind of famous porn actress turned mainstream movie star, who I really have a lot of time for. I think her story is amazing, but it wasn't even her. No. And, and it just felt, you know, it was that kind of vanilla attempt at being edgy and racy, which is what I didn't like. Well, I think we know from something that had to be taken out of The, the Predator that Shane Black has questionable... What was the bit that he used to cast? He cast his friend in the film who was a convicted sex... Oh, the word offender yes and so he had to cut that scene out and thereby making a whole series of scenes not make sense because there's a scene missing mind you as we've discovered it turns out there's loads of people like this who've been in films or casting them themselves so yeah it's um, good they get outed early on yeah at least at least it was outed at the time um but i just think that whole obsession with the 80s i don't feel shane black's gone anywhere with it interesting and if you notice there's no women in the nice guys apart from a a teenage girl who are equal on screen otherwise they're all villains or they're hookers or they're porn stars and you know that was the thing about the 80s as well the lethal weapon there's you know the thing about oh the his here's the hooker who saw it who actually i looked up the cv of the actress she has one tiny scene and you can tell she's acting really well as she's being dragged off by the police who obviously don't treat her as quite a human being. Mm. Um, so in a sense, there's social revelations about police attitudes. But um, This came up in the Yorkshire Ripper documentary that was on recently. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. But also, I keep looking at this because it's about, you know, the police and the possibility of police corruption because mm. that's what underlies it, who might be behind this heroin deal that these two cops are trying to investigate. And there's one Black Lives Matter moment in it when there's the three little kids who've witnessed, um, who went to the house of the Alfred. prostitute. Yeah, mm. and they talk about, don't they talk about you'll just get beaten up? Yeah, it? he says, my mum says that policemen shoot kids. Yeah. And so uh, the thing I found really interesting watching Lethal Weapon now is not because they were deliberately placed, but by sheer coincidence, there are little moments that reference the reality. I mean, you think this is five or six years before the Rodney King mm. beating, and and yet this one portrays this benign world in which this nice African-American cop... But then Richard you know, Donner... It's, it's, weird, it's weird that this all gets in because Richard Donner's a very political man and he uses the Lethal Weapon films, Lethal Weapon films even, as a platform for his politics. In this one, there's not so much of it, but in the second one, you've got the South Africans and yeah. apartheid. You've also got... He mentioned there's a whole scene where they talk about how tuna, no one should buy tuna because dolphins die. In the third one, you've got guns, kids having guns on the streets and how bad it is. The fourth one's really anti-NRA, which is so weird because every character in this is carrying a gun. gun. So, uh, but yeah, his politics always bleed through into the film. And I can't remember if there's any specific examples of it in this, but I suppose you've got the exploitation of girls and all that sort of thing, but that's probably Yeah, but it's all done in this um, uncomfortable way. I noticed the actress who plays the eldest daughter, the one who gets kidnapped and stripped down to her underwear. You know, again, it's done in this way which makes you feel uncomfortable, but it's not pushed so far as to be absolutely violent and... um, you know, abusive on screen. She won a couple of awards for acting. And I thought she did really well. Mm. She is beautiful. Yeah. Again, just that weird thing where she's got a crush on Mel Gibson, which from the perspective of now, you know, this kind of, what, 15-year-old girl and this, I don't know what he was, mid-30s, just feels... It's a bit off, isn't it? Off. Also, Shane Black, going back to him, he is obsessed with Christmas, as everyone knows. It's true, he I is. I hadn't realised this was a Christmas movie till the music started. Yeah, you got Christmas in this. And then um, he did Iron Man 3, which is set at Christmas... The Long Kiss Goodnight, set at Christmas. Now, I have to take something back about Shane Black. See, I really like The Long Kiss It's Goodnight. great. It's a great film. And, of course, you know it's Samuel Jackson's favourite film role. Is it really? Yes. I'm he, not surprised. Recently, and he was so chuffed to be talking about it. And, of course, Captain Marvel is a retread yeah. of the whole relationship of um, 
Long Kiss Goodnight. It is. When I saw it, I said, this is Marvel doing The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah. It's exactly that. It's a woman with amnesia. and a, He's basically playing Nick Fury as the character from The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah. Although there's quite a lot. And what's interesting as well is she has to rescue everyone from it. And yeah. they obviously cut scenes where he's been tortured and stuff. All the men are tortured and she mm. finds him locked underground, doesn't she, when she rescues him. Yeah. But it's also got, thinking about the politics you mentioned of Richard Donner, they're trying to frame Muslims for a terrorist atrocity. That's right. They have them frozen, they're frozen they've, bodies they've again. the frozen body of a man, of a Muslim man, and yeah. um, they're putting him in the trucks. It looked like he set off this bomb, but actually it's a kind of covert government conspiracy. Yeah, with pa- with Patrick uh, Malahide as and, the uh, corrupt, corrupt politician yes. and Brian Cox as the good politician. Got a rifle too. Anybody fucks with Mitch, he knows just what to do. Cause I'm a bad motherfucker. Stay quiet. He dropped the rifle. How'd you find us? There may be many reasons not to kill you, but among them is not that you'll be missed by NASA. I found the address in your coat. Here between the dress of a topless bar and the picture of what looks like a man's penis. That's a duck, not a dick. That's such a good film. It's really well written as well. And it's really violent, Mm. I think, by modern standards. It's got lots of throat cutting and cutting in it, I remember rightly. And and also her being made very cold. Yes, they put her in a freezer. Is it a freezer that they put her on a a water mill uh, in freezing (gasps) cold water? Yeah, they torture her on a water mill, yeah. She goes blue. Yeah, she thinks she's going to find. Sorry, we're talking about the longest night. But she thinks she's <laughs> going to find her ex-boyfriend. That. But it actually turns out it's a, a guy she was trying to kill. Yeah. It's a really nice twist. Yeah. It's such a good film. Watch it if you haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, and that's why they had to add the scene for Samuel Jackson because people loved his character so much. He is so good in that. There's a whole scene where the um, anyway we won't. We won't it. spoil it for you, but go no. and see it. Yeah, uh, we don't go and see it because it won't be on anywhere. But get it out. Get it out. Yeah. Um, talking of. Um, Roger's wife being an interesting piece of casting. The guy who threatens um, Riggs at the beginning with the Christmas trees. Yes. Is a guy called Blackie Dammit. And he is the dad of Anthony Kieldis from the Dread Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, oh, and I can see the resemblance. Yeah, they look very weird. Yes. Look like weird killers. They do. They've got great faces. They have. Um, but that's an interesting scene because that's that's where we introduced the rigs. Now, there's, in the director's cut, which I didn't bother watching, which is one that I saw. God, it goes on. Yeah, I couldn't work out which of the extra seven minutes, but it felt like there were too many of them. There's this really kind of elaborate, dirty Harry-esque scene where he's at a school and there's a sniper trying to shoot children, yes. and he literally wanders into the flo- yes. the bullet paths and shoots the guy. Yes. It's really stupid, and I'm glad they cut it out. And then he he gets into a fight in a bar. And yes. There's lots of other. It's, um, they were cut out for a reason. And it, it works better without them, but yeah, the first time we 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 see Riggs, he's at this uh, drugs bust, and I think it's quite a funny little scene. Seventy, hey, what the? Hey fuck? man, hey, come on, shut up, man, I'm losing count. Ninety-three, ninety-four, ninety-five, ninety-six. Forget it, you dumb shit. One hundred thousand, one hundred thousand dollars. Did you hear what he said? One hundred thousand. I. I'm sorry, I can't afford that, not on my salary. But look, I'll tell you what, i got a better idea. Here, now, let me say I, uh, I take the whole stash off your hands for free, and you assholes can go to jail. Hey, what do you whoa, say about that? Up. Can I say something about Danny Glover? Yes, go on. So, Danny Glover is really intriguing. He often plays these quite mysterious characters, and he's played kind of villains and things. But he's a real, he's really political, and at hmm. the time I interviewed him a couple of years ago, he was a huge fan of... Who's the guy who's tried to hold on to power in Venezuela? Oh. Maduro. Yes. Yeah. I, I must say, it wasn't an area that I really wanted to mine on stage because I thought mm. it was quite controversial. But, you know, he's, he's got an old socialist background. And he told me in, in the 60s, he said, I used to stay up all night discussing dialectical materialism and hate Ashbury. And I just thought, I would have loved yeah. to have stayed up all night discussing dialectical materialism with Danny Glover. Did he talk about Predator 2? No, I thought I should restrict. It was the BFI. I thought I should restrict the number of dodgy art house um, action movies we discussed. But you know, he was in Beloved. He's done some mm. really color purple um, controversial. And of course, and he's the abusive husband. Yeah, he's horrible purple. in that. He's capable of such darkness, but he's also capable of such lovely warmth. The Royal Tenenbaums. He plays a beautiful character in that. So I mean, you know, I think it's Danny Glover that really makes this film work. He is the heart of the film, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. And and going back to what I was just saying, if Riggs had been partnered with anybody else in this world, 
he probably would have carried on going into the deep end because he's partnered with Rod, who doesn't know what to do with him at first, but as they progress, wants to help him in some way, you know, by inviting him around for dinner. I think the dinner scene's very well done. I think it's very... That's down to Danny Glover. It's so naturalistic that he starts showing off in front of his family to the house guests. Uh, Everybody does. How come we didn't have fish tonight? I thought we had fish tonight. Don't worry about the fish. Ooh, getting defensive about here. You ever go fishing? Oh, not since I was a kid. I used to go spearfishing with a snorkel. Spearfishing? Didn't catch anything much but a cold. I got that big open mouth there. Rianne, get the dessert, please, honey. I got a 250 horsepower. Rianne, your mother said, get the dessert. Get the dessert. Come on, come on. Catalina, I don't know. Nothing exciting, but I catch my allotment. Not bad. Maybe I'll catch a little few things out there. That's what I caught my wife out there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's nice fishing out there. Mr. Riggs, would you like that tart? Thank you, yeah. Call me Martin. Martin. Uh, listen, Mr. Riggs. So yeah, you see all the stuff in the family house. Yeah. I loved. Yeah, with the kids doing the, the rap, saying that the daughter's in love with Martin and all that. It's really lovely. It's really, and I think that is Richard Donner's gift, is that he's very good at making these naturalistic scenarios happen. Superman's full of it, like when they walk into the Daily Planet. There's all this, this completely believable world of people having these completely believable, believable conversations. And there's something also about 80s films in particular which did this well. So if you think about a film like War Games, it is all the little kind of idle chat when the dad's talking about this corn is raw. Yes. That makes that film work because all the domestic scenes are so grounded and mm. they're really fun. And mm-hmm. this is too. I think that's something that's been lost in cinema. Yes. I think now everyone's so obsessed with keeping it fast-paced that you don't have any of these human moments anymore. No. And I think if Lethal Weapon was made now, they'd probably cut that scene or they'd make it, uh, I don't know, them going to a bar or something just to keep it more pacey. I'm just trying to imagine it. Could you, could you cast it with women as well? Yeah, I don't know. don't know. Speaking of women, so there's the female psychiatrist who very yes. early on is trying to tell the boss, like, this man is psychotic. He should not be on duty. And she and he basically says, yeah, yeah, whatever. If mm. you, it's just everything is so implausible about this film. She has a further conversation with Myrtle later on, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah, he phones her with Riggs sat literally next to him saying, is this guy a lunatic? And she's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is. And he's like, OK, thanks. And then Martin's like, what was that about? Are you deaf? And she's back. Isn't she in like at least two or three other... She's in the other weapons? three, yeah. yeah. Repeatedly saying the same thing? Yeah, well, they have this thing where she's constantly hassling Riggs about things and he has this running joke where he keeps saying out loud, you know, I'm not going to marry you, just leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not nice. But in the third one, though, you get the, the strong female Riggs. Do you? Lorna Cole, Cole played by Rennie Russo. Yeah, she's she's pretty good. Again, her role's not amazing, but she makes a good job of it. I think all the women, you know, one of the things about these films, it's like when I talk to actresses like Madeleine Smith, whose career was, you know, mainly in the 70s, yes. is how women made the best of the roles they were, uh, they had. Mm. And actually, when you look at their performances on their own, they all stand up. Yeah. You know, even if you're just playing a hooker, you play it with real grace and Well, Madeleine dignity. Smith has a very memorable Bond Well, absolutely. Role. Which isn't just titillation. I think she's very funny. I just saw your eyes glaze slightly. You just went off into a little reverie there and came back. Sheer magnetism, darling. (laughs) Um. Hello and welcome to the musical podcast. I'm Kiri. And I'm Jade. And I'm Dave. Dave's on keys. But we don't play that too much because otherwise we'll have to pay some people rights money. Yeah. Uh, we do a live show where comedians come and sing their favourite musical theatre songs in front of a live audience. This podcast is us bringing that person inside of a building. <laughs> Welcome to Just a Minute with Jade Adams. <laughs> I panicked. Enjoy. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Gary Busey is the baddie in this. Yeah, and I see when I saw this, I still had my memory of him as Buddy Holly. Yes. So I thought, and that was what, 78, the Buddy Holly story? Something like that, yeah. And this is 87. So although it's yeah. some years on, it was the first big film I've seen him do since. And there's something doubly sinister about him as that young man who could have gone, you know, it's plausible who would have gone to Vietnam mm. and come back. And I think there's a there's a really nice idea that Murtaugh and what, sorry, Riggs and him are... Mm are these sort of flip side of the same and they both work for the same covert assassination shadow company shadow company Mm. and one of them has come out working for the evils and you know somehow despite being mad the other one has come out um, working for the cops yeah but it never really does anything very interesting with it but Gary Boosie just looks incredibly sinister and also isn't this about the same time he's making Point Break uh, Point Break's 1990. Oh, okay. Or 91, something like that. Oh, okay. So it's quite a bit later. Yeah, but this was kind of his resurgence because I was reading last night that he had to audition for this, which he didn't have to do previously, but his career was at such a low ebb that he had to audition to be Mr. Joshua. And it's also playing against type because his whole shtick is he's quite brash and loud and confident. Joshua's very quiet, withdrawn. A, it, as, a, as a piece of acting. It's great. He does a lot with not very much. Yeah, he does. But I'd like to ask you, it's slightly linked to Mr. Joshua, that um, the, 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 the plot here is that Roger's friend, Michael Hunsucker's daughter's died. And it turns out the Hunsucker's involved in some big conspiracy. When they go to the funeral, there's a lot of eggnog there. Why is there so much <laughs> eggnog at the funeral? Is it, I suppose it's Christmas. That's, there you go. But there's like a massive pile of eggnog. About thirty you cartons. Were distracted of by that. I was distracted. I always the story stuck in my mind because he he gets shot through the carton. They do a nice little trick where he's drinking it and the bullet comes through the window. Well, all, you know, there's some bizarre. Obviously, someone had an obsession with helicopters yeah. because the bullet comes from someone in a helicopter who's yeah. hovering the helicopter really low outside this party where everyone could presumably identify the helicopter mm. and. And therefore trace it. And then later on, when the daughter's trying to escape in the car, yeah. she's stopped by a helicopter basically ramming her. And you'd have thought the helicopter would be at more risk. Yeah, and also I don't understand why she gets out of the car. Because if she just kept driving, yeah. what would the helicopter do? It couldn't pick her up. No. She's stupid. She deserved to get kidnapped. It's just one of these 80s conceits that you were supposed to believe that heli- a helicopter arriving meant, aha, everything has changed. Well, I've got a firm belief that the 80s were obsessed with vehicles being more powerful than they are. Yes. Because you had Airwolf, Streetwolf, Streethawk, Knight Rider. A-Team had their own van. Mad Max had a car. Everybody had a vehicle. Cobra has a vehicle. And in this, it's like helicopter. If a helicopter's over your car, it means you are in danger and you have to get out. Whereas in actual fact, it wouldn't. Really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The helicopter's far more at risk than, than you are. Yeah. 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 She, and plus, she's in a big limo. What, what's going to stop her? She's an idiot. Exactly. Poor thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the plot is basically that Hansaka is working with these guys who are mercenaries and they're uh, importing, is it cocaine? Heroin. Heroin and cocaine. Heroin. Two major shipments a year. It's all run by ex-CIA, soldiers, mercs. <laughs> you son of a bitch. If you were getting cold feet, why did they kill Amanda? Why not just kill you? They can't kill me. They need me. Why? My company, the bank. It's a perfect front. It makes everything look great on the tax report. And, and um, 
Yeah, he gets killed because basically the the, the daughter being killed was a warning to him. So you know, I do feel out. the daughter doesn't does die for a rather spurious reason. Yeah, it's not really made very clear. Well, especially she jumped anyway. But yeah, but she, would have, but she would have died because yeah. they, they poisoned her pills. They put Drano in her pills. But that's a, that's a very um, iconic opening sequence, though, her her death with that music. They did that a lot in the 80s as well, got an old rock and roll song, like they did in adverts, yeah. Levi's adverts, and just plonked it on top of an action movie. Yeah. But yeah, it's problematic. It's pro- I think it's problematic. Yeah. Yeah. It was a different time. Just thinking, this is this is the imagery that teenage girls would kind of be confronted with. Yeah, at the time this is the only kind of role they were getting is sort of off her head. That's why Game of Thrones was so shocking when it started. Yeah, this is why I mean, we were talking about Game of Thrones in my program meeting today. And what is it about Americans and nudity? Yeah, versus violence because they think that's a sign that you're being edgy and European mm. and um, sophisticated. But actually, sometimes it's just exploitative. Yeah, and we all know that in Europe, but they didn't seem to know it in America. And I remember going on holiday and. They were showing Thunderbolt and Lightfoot on the telly. It was around Christmas, and it was really early in the day. It was like about 10 in the morning. And you know there's a scene where they break into the house of a couple who are having sex. Yeah. They pixelated out all the nipples in this scene. But the actual violent threat of armed men breaking in and all the shooting and all the violence, that was all fine to show at 10 o'clock at Christmas on terrestrial American television. And there, you know, in one scene, you have the central problem with how the Americans view nudity versus violence. I think they see it going hand in hand, though, don't they? They think nudity's um, a bigger deal. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's corrupting in a way that seeing violent death isn't. It's like I was on holiday once and a man in front of me, at Wal- I was in America, and I was at a Walmart, and the man in front of me was buying a shotgun. Like, he put it on the conveyor belt and she scanned it, and then he walked, paid for it and walked off with it. There was a cameraman. I used to be an LA correspondent for the BBC, and there yeah. was a cameraman... Um, not camera, sorry, an edit, VT editor. And you'd be editing with different people every day, never noticed. And then he had a particular edit suite he worked in, and all around he'd stuck up po- uh, pictures, photos of himself with all his different guns. Oh, God. And because it's LA um, and it was a newsroom, you know, most journalists are actually relatively, they, they don't tend to be gun-toting people. I'm not saying that they're all Democrat voting necessarily, but I think he was a bit of a outlier even within that newsroom, but it was creepy. That is creepy. Is that creepier than having loads of naked ladies everywhere? Oh, that's a dilemma. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, well, I think you could argue by the cultural norms of America, there's nothing creepy. I just think anything which is about you showing off something which intimidates other people, and naked pictures would be intimidating to women, and I think a lot of men would find them just plain insulting. Mm. Um, and pictures of yourself with your guns is a symbol of violence. Yeah. But I think I'd probably, f- I'd probably find the pictures of women more offensive, yes. Both, though. Imagine if it was women with guns. Some, some men like that. <laughs> don't make me imagine these things. <laughs> Can we talk about, I don't know if you'd have to talk about it now, but the torture really bothered me in this film, even though it's quite tame by what you can see in other things. Was yeah. this an 18 at the time? Yes, it was. See, now this will be a 15. Easily. Easily a 15. Yeah. But there's a scene where um, Mel Gibson is, um, oh, part of your padding. Part of the studio just lost the will to live. <laughs> That's fair enough. Is, is tortured, um, what, electro-torture? Yeah, he's, it's a sponge and uh, and uh, with electricity going from a car battery. With an, and with an East Asian actor who he talks, doesn't he call him something like a gook? He does, yeah. And that no. guy is in ev- was in everything in the 80s. He was in Die Hard, Big Trouble in Little China, everything. So it's quite nice seeing him pop up in this. Yeah. But yeah, he he dies via. He's the first person to die via Riggs's uh, thighs. Yes. No. Is no. See that again. Did that inspire that Piers Brosnan? Who's that? On a top. On a top. Possibly. I just yeah. feel there's lots of little moments in here. Actually, you see turn up in James Bond films. So perhaps it has had a legacy. Mas- oh, I think this film, this film, and films like it were influential over License to Kill, well, for instance. Also, because I mean, I, I I must say I haven't seen every action film that was made in the eighties, but. The way that this mainstream film used torture, I think of, again, years later, this, is it Skyfall? Where, no, it's Casino Royale where he gets... The rope. Yeah, and I know that's partly, it's in the Ian Fleming thing, but mm. yeah. The, the way it's shot. On that chair. Yeah. The, also, License to Kill, he gets, again, it's from the book, but the way it's uh, uh, gratuitously dangled in the shark tank. Well, License to Kill's whole tone is, is yes, the whole drug dealer-related... They've even got the same composer, from the, Michael Kamen, from this to score License to yeah, Kill, no, so I, it's got I, the same feel. Even though I have a lot of problems with License to Kill, I think it holds up as a much better film because I, I just feel morally engaged in it. I love it. I mean, there's a two-part episode of the, fir- yeah, the there first is, measures. It's like three hours long. Um, 
Yes, and then Roger gets tortured with salt in his wounds. Literally. Yeah. They've beaten him up. And, and he's such a decent man that he won't even swear at them. And then they bring in, and obviously threatening to rape his daughter. I mean, yeah. you know it's not said. It's just, I felt so uncomfortable. I remember because I had my daughter in the room and I said, are you okay with this? She said, oh, mum, for God's sake. And, you know, they are very robust modern teens. But yeah. I feel as a parent now, I think, you know, you're only seeing women given this treatment. Um, mm. And it's, you know, repeatedly. And, and the fact that it's normalised. It is pretty shocking when you actually step back and look at it. It's like I mentioned it earlier that, um, sorry to go so, so off path, but the Yorkshire Ripper documentary that was on BBC recently, <gasps> that really made me step back and think, hang on. The Yorkshire Ripper one or the yeah. Jack the Ripper one? Yorkshire Ripper. It was talking about how the police didn't really seriously investigate it because oh, no. prostitutes weren't seen as women. They weren't seen as, um, what was it, um, innocent women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they kind of got what was coming to them. So it wasn't such a, it was only when um, they found out later that no, normal, in inverted commas, women were also murdered that they took it more seriously. And I think that makes you just step back and go, society as a problem had this issue for a long time. And that was five years before Lethal Weapon was made. Exactly, yeah. And the society just had this issue with women not being real people. And it's just such a weird thing to look back on now. And it still happens. It still happens with with women who work in prostitution, I know. And women who work in politics. I know. It's just mad. Um, But yeah, Roger's so nice, though, that when he's literally getting salt put into bullet wounds, he says, go spit... See, I would be, I'd be swearing my head off. But he's a decent man. There's also a line here that Shane Black's obviously written. I imagine he wrote it and sort of lay, sat back in his chair, smoked a cigar and went, I have sold a beauty here. Riggs comes in, kills everybody, grabs Leanne and Roger and says, let's do what one shepherd said to the other shepherd and get the flock out of here. Yeah, that felt a bit... Um, Forced. Odd. And then they go through this nightclub pretending that they're... Fine. And then sort of shoot it. And they start, and this random guy comes and goes, hey, he might have been about to say, do you know where the toilet is? <laughs> or do you know if there's a cigarette machine here? And he shoots him three times through the heart. I think that's a bit OTT. The, 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 the killings in these 80s films always look extra weird because I think the special effects then was, I don't know, it was simpler and analogue effects. But yeah. they always look a bit more cartoony. And yet at the same time, they also look more... Violent. Yeah, they go really OTT on squibs. Yeah, I think now they do it digitally, but in those days, you get the whole of their back blown out yes. with blood firing out, and the guns. Instead of nowadays, when you hear a gun firing, it's kind of like sounds like a pop because that's what it sounds like. But in those days, they sounded like Spitfires. Um, so every time Riggs fires his gun, it's always louder than the other guns. You know, when I was, um, I did a hostile environment course when I um, during. Must be during the Bosnian Civil War when all the reporters were being trained, and if you might go into a war zone. And one of the things they would do is they would show us clips from old action films and say, "This is not how bullets behave." And if you ever hide behind a car door or even a car, you will be dead because it will go straight through it. Mm. Um, and the fact they tended to show us the sequence from Heat, yeah, and then they would show you footage of a real bullet being fired at a real car door. It was it was hilarious. So whenever I see these old films, I always think of those ex-Marines just laughing at how dangerous 80s films were for giving people ridiculous ideas about where you could shelter. You yeah. can't shelter anywhere from that kind of machinery. No. Especially for machine guns. They're lethal weapons. They are literally lethal weapons. <laughs> like Riggs. Roger even says at one point, we should register you as a lethal weapon because he, he's good at karate and he's good at, at shooting things. Is he good at karate? When does he use this? Oh, at the end. Yeah, he says at the beginning that he's good at karate. And then we see it. Roger says, we better label you as a lethal weapon. So when they escape, so they, they got that. Yeah, they escape how. and McAllister gets we blown say, up. They've taken the daughter hostage. They've yeah. gone after the family and they've taken the daughter hostage. Yeah, and they killed, they, they in inverted commas, kill Riggs because he's wearing a bulletproof vest. Yes. And then he says, oh, it's great because I'm dead now. But I don't see what advantage that gives them. <laughs> it's like James Bond being repeatedly dead. Oh, yeah. And then back. Yeah. And then they go after them and then they eventually, they all get kidnapped. They all get kidnapped. Riggs gets tortured. They both get tortured. tortured. Um, but then they escape. Yeah. And then they fight their way out. And then what happens? Well, McAllister gets blown up in his own car because he crashes oh, into yeah, a bus. Oh, that's nice. And Joshua gets away. And then they say, well, I know where he's going. They go back to their house. Oh, yes, he'll go after my family. And he turns up there and they leave a note saying, dear bad guys, we're not here. And then they drive a car through their own, through his own house. Yes. And then he has a fight on the lawn with Joshua. And Roger's like, with all the police, don't worry, 
Stand yeah, back. with a and so I quite I thought this was, scene was choreographed quite well. So a fire hydrant gets set off. Yes. So it's all done under the kind of rain of this fire hydrant. It's and like it's, flash dance for men. Oh my god, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Did so you find it erotic? Uh, of course. <laughs> no. Well, Gary Busey's quite erotic, isn't he? Do you know anyway? Gary Busey actually looks quite uh, balletic. He's beautiful in this. Yeah. He's really got into good shape for he's this. He's quite uh, yeah because you think only a few years later he's. Beefed up for mm. the um, the Point Break. Role. Yeah, in the Point Break, he's playing a schlub. He's a schlub, isn't he? Yeah. Whereas here, he's he's old, but he's older, but he's he's quite lithe. Mm. Although you do think, what's the name of his shadow conspiracy thing called? What's it called? Shadow Company. Shadow Company, right? Shadow. Right. The word shadow implies like secretive. Mm. Why would you be having this massive fight in front of all the LAPD? Wouldn't you just sneak off? You know, to go back to your well, he's arrested, conspiracy? and then uh, Martin Riggs says to him, "Do you want a shot at the title?" Meaning, shall we have a fight? Yeah. And then Rog lets his handcuffs off him and they lets them have a fight. And it really does look like one of them is going to die. Yeah, because it, well, it nearly does, because at the end Joshua grabs a gun. And because it's America and because that's the way things are dealt with, both Roger and Martin shoot him in, in synchronised ways and he's killed. Rather than being arrested and sent to prison, it's best that he's shot. A lot. No news journalists ever turn up. And yet when I <laughs> worked in L.A., you would get news journalists turning up at the drop of a hat everywhere. You know, they'd turn up if it was raining. Mm. So you would definitely have the news crews there quite quickly. Yes. It all takes place in this sort of strange L.A. which has no news media. I've always found that annoying about Maybe films. this is like a Marvel Universe thing and uh, someone's got rid of 50% of the <laughs> world's journalists. It's like that bit in, in the, is it Infinity War, where you can't hear the birds anymore. You can't hear any paparazzi or Maybe. pens. Maybe. I don't know why I said pens. <laughs> Maybe they they would have used pens. But in a way, see, it's a lot of set pieces, but it's not as big as you think it is. No, it's not. It's 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 it's, it's a good thing. I, I like it. I, I, confessionally, I will say that I watch this most Christmas. Do you? Yeah, it's one of my Christmas films. Uh, I really enjoy it, but I think the second one is more of a crowd pleaser. Because as we mentioned earlier, it spread things out nicely. It's got more humour in it. Well, you know, I don't remember the second one as well. I've only seen it once in the cinema. But I do think the comparisons of the Bond films continue because you have the the woman who's sort of working for them, who sort of changes sides, who gets killed. Yeah. You have the evil mastermind with a foreign accent mm -hmm. who's... You know, this whole phenomenon of the individual South African businessman who is the villain was a real phenomenon of... Diplomatic immunity films. as well. Diplomatic immunity, yeah. My dear officer, you could not even give me a parking ticket. <laughs> oh, Joss Ackland was so scary. Brilliant. And Derek O'Connor as his henchman, who died recently. Oh, so there's a um, uh, stuntman who yes. worked on this, who died, that the film is dedicated to. How did he die? I think it was in a... Was it in a helicopter crash? It was It was a crash unrelated to the film. Oh, I see. He'd worked on the film. Motorcycle smash, I think. Right, OK. Right. Um, yeah, what's his name? Dar da Robinson. And apparently he'd devised some of the first stunts to be done a certain way, like ones where someone jumps off a building, but you can't see the airbag beneath them. And I don't mm. know if that was about angle or about what you deployed as the airbag and how. Mm. But he did some kind of you know major stunts. Because, again, I don't think the stunts in this... Look that great. There's the jumping off the building, handcuffed together. Well, but they're jumping into an airbag, which you can see. When I was a kid, I thought that was a mistake. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, they've left the airbag in. But of course, the police put it there. But I don't know if they do that for jumpers. Do they get a bouncy castle for jumpers? Yeah, you just think, do you have one around? And how yeah. do you inflate it that fast? I guess you'd hire one from a bloke who also runs a kebab <laughs> van to bring it. Because uh, it is one of those ones that you have, um, you know, for stunts. So it's a bit a bit of a weird thing to happen. Um, but that's quite a famous scene, isn't it? Because that's the way he gets him down. He handcuffs himself to him. And says, let's do it then. He says, if you jump, I'll go with you. And that'll be murder. Murdering a police officer. And then he goes crazy. Do you want to jump? That was always in the trailers. Do you want to? Here. I hate to leave it out. Oh, no. What are you doing? See this key? Bye-bye. Crazy. Now you can jump if you want to, but you'll be taking me with you, and that makes you a murderer. Okay? Come on, let's go you back. You bastard! Yeah, you'll be killing a cop. Now, yeah, I'll be killing a psycho nut. Cop. Yeah, a psycho, but I'm still a cop. You coming in? Come on, I'm going in. Fuck you! I'm jumping. Do you really want to jump? Do you wanna? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Wait a minute. I want to do it. I want to do it. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
less than the sum of its parts would be my yeah my um, verdict on this. Yes, I agree. I think it's a I think it's an, a good idea, and like I say, I think it was important for introducing what came after. I don't think it stands up as well. Are there any good lines in it? What you mean apart from let's get the flock out of here? Yeah. <laughs> There's the good bit where Roger says. Um, Oops. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. Well, well don't do me no favours. Uh, but again, there's Bond things in there because it's like Quantum of Solace where Martin keeps telling him not to kill people. We have to, we have to arrest them and talk to them. And everyone meet, Martin meets, he kills. Just like in Quantum of Solace. But it's better than Quantum of Solace. I just keep thinking of Animal from the Muppets. If you gave him a gun, it would be really scary. It would be really scary. Maybe they should Maybe they should go back George Lucas style and CG in Animal from the Muppets <laughs> instead of Mel Gibson, like they did with Christopher Plummer and Kevin Spacey, because, because Mel Gibson's so problematic now. Or is he not? Actually, he's not problematic anymore, What's is he? What's he just done? Uh, What's that film? It's he's like dragged a, across concrete. Dragged a, have you seen it? Uh, no, I've got it. I've got it to watch. I've not seen it yet. Is it good? I haven't seen it. I've seen people say it sort of does what it says on the tin. I liked the last couple of films the guy did, the Brawl in Cell Block Ninety Nine and Bone Tomahawk. I don't object to the idea of maybe playing with this whole notion of men who feel. Um, I don't know what they feel. <laughs> Ostracised. Can't black up anymore. All that stuff. <laughs> that's because that's because we've all, we've, we're all offended all the time. It's not that they're doing wrong things. It's that we're offended. Yes, of course. You can't even say so-and-so anymore. <laughs> that's what they say. But yeah, Mel Gibson's been on a journey now. So it's fine. I'm not sure we needed him to come back, did we? No. Oh, you know, he's one of those people that's like really has done bad things, but I, I really like him. The bounty was really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like him in this. I like him really in, um, in Gallipoli. Payback's really good. The remake of Point Break he did. Point Break, Point Blank. Oh. I liked that a lot. Okay. Um, but he's like Russell Crowe in that when he's young, he's done some amazing stuff. And then Russell Crowe, though, has got that kind of um, I am Marlon Brando thing going on now, which I'm not too fond of. You know how Brando got a bit pudgy and then just decided to do things for the hell of it for money? Russell Crowe's got that a bit now. Have you ever seen The Quick and the Dead? Yes. I love that film. That's a good film. Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, Sharon Stone. Gene Hackman. Very young Leonardo DiCaprio. She had yes. to fight to get him in that film. Did she? Yeah. Russell Crowe's like the hunky drunk, isn't he? Oh, he's the he's he's a priest. That's right. And... And he's all chained up and she goes and has sex with him. That's right. Don't do that at home, kids. <laughs> it's quite a kinky film. I if you find a chained up priest, don't do that. Release him. Find out what happened. There was full consent. Well, of course. Yeah. Of course. As the crow flies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've ended up talking about Russell Crowe. But I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. Now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There might not be that quick fire answer, but I'll try. Well, that's what editing's for. Yeah. So it's fine. So in your opinion, Samira Ahmed, who is the best, Arnie or Sly? Sly, because um, I feel there's heart to him. And you see him vulnerable. I mean, I only saw Rocky a few years ago, and he is so vulnerable. He's that like, is a common like, answer, yeah, yeah, I agree. He's this, he's this unliked, nerdy kid who just wants to be loved and wants to do the right thing. And Copland is such a great film. Mm. He can really act. Yes, he can. I have huge affection for Sylvester Stone. And he made a joke about Rambo, the poet, in an interview with Matthew Sweet. Did he? Yes, they, you know the whole thing about the French poet Rambo. Yeah. They put a joke about it into The Expendables 2. See, he's and a good that guy. was Sly Stallone did that because he's he's cultured, he is. He is cultured. Uh, we were talking about this in another podcast. That he, went in, he went in that period in the late 80s where he decided to wear glasses and polo necks and say, I like painting now, just so no one will go, oh, that's Rambo. Because he was so known for being monosyllabic. Sorry, we were talking about Sylvester Stallone. Stallone. Yeah, because yeah, he did Rambo and Rocky. They don't talk very much. And when they do talk, yeah. they don't talk well. Oh, I'm actually all affectionate for Sylvester Stallone. Also, he's been in that film that was set in Clapham Junction. Has he? Nighthawks, which begins with Rutger <gasps> Hauer oh, yeah. blowing up Arding and Hobbs. Yes. my local department store. It's him and Billy Dee Williams. Yeah. yeah, that's a good film. It is a good film. And he's got a beard in that. It does. A rare, sly beard. 
Uh, um, what's the best action movie of all time, in your opinion? <gasps> oh, I'll have to come back to that one. Mm, what's okay. yours? What's yours? Oh, I think it has to be Die Hard. It's like the... Do you want to hear a terrible confession? Yeah. I still never see. You've still never seen, you must I've watch seen Die bits Hard. of it on the telly, but I've never seen it all the way through. And I know I would enjoy it. It's really good. It's like Action Movies 101. It just it, it doesn't stop moving. It's got an amazing pace to it. And I might just go for The Long Kiss Goodnight because it did something different and it's Samuel L. Jackson's favourite role. I'd, I'd, and I'd, I love Gina Davis and I love Samuel L. Jackson. Gina Davis got harshly treated, didn't she? Yeah. She did one big turkey and that was it. Well, you know what? The mistake her. that happened was um, Cutthroat Island came out before The Longest Good Night, which yes. is why it didn't get treated the same because everyone said, oh, she and Rennie Harlan make turkeys, but that's not yeah. true. And actually, I'm going to go and say it. I think Cutthroat Island has a lot of fun in it and long before Pirates of the Caribbean, she does all her own stunts. It's, it was really, I loved that film. It was such an empowering film. I think it's all right, but I think the problem was, wasn't it, uh, who is it? Who's the guy in it? Matthew Modine. Yeah, I think he, wasn't he, uh, wasn't it supposed there. to be someone more charismatic and famous and yeah. he dropped out? I can't remember he's who it was. He's still sweet, though. He's fine. She's the lead. Oh, absolutely. He's just the, you know, romantic interest. You have know. to accept that, John. I do. I do. I, I think it's fine. I think if it came out now, it would be fine. I think everyone, because it was, it got, it, wasn't it the most expensive movie of all time yeah. at that point? And yeah. whenever, in those days when that happened, everyone just was ready to shoot it down. But I do think, the kinds that you look at all of this, it's like Madonna being labelled, oh, you know, Put your knickers away, Granny. She was 35. Yeah. You know, people find these headlines now. This is how women who tried to do something different and mm. put themselves, you know, out there as a lead were treated. She Everything was Everything was hostile. But she just disappeared after that. No, she that. didn't just disappear. She went on to make um, A League of Their Own, uh, Thelma and Louise. She set oh, yeah. up the, Gen the, the um, Gina Davis um, Institute for Media. And they have a whole project where they're trying to get um, equal casting. So if a crowd scene should be 50-50, a boardroom, unless it's specifically otherwise should see of half of whom are women, just normalising women on screen. Because if you actually do audience tests, if you have more than 30% women in a scene, people think there are more women than men. Because that's how... Right. Um, unconsciously biased we've become. Wow, I didn't know and any they of commission that. all this research. Um, I was three questions on University Challenge, the answer to one of which was Gina Davis. Wow. Based on an article I wrote about the amazing women of the 90s. So That's fantastic. Stop me on Gina Davis and I will not stop. She's my goddess. No, she's great. I'm pleased to hear that because I was worried no, that she she'd got... She commissions huge amounts of research. She's basically a big player in Hollywood, but trying to change it for the better. That's fantastic. Well, we live and learn. And she was in that TV drama about being president. Oh, yes, she was. And The Exorcist, excuse me. She's in the Exorcist TV series. Netflix There's an Exorcist series. TV series. Yeah, or a Netflix thing. Okay. Anyway. Uh, terrorists are taking over a skyscraper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can take three celebrities with you <gasps> to stop them. Who are you taking up the shard and why? Up the shard. Um, oh, three celebrities up the shard to stop terrorist attack. Um, I think one of them would probably be um, Piers Brosnan, just because I think it would confuse them. Right, okay. And I think he looks like... A terrorist idea of James Bond. And mm. it depends what kind of terrorist there are but as well. But he's played a terrorist. He has. He's in The Long Good Friday. So mm. I think he would be one. Um, I think big hair is quite important. I would definitely take up Gina Davis. Yeah. Because she could come through, smashing through a plate glass window with a cutlass yep. and sort them out. She'd be my second one. And then I'm just to think of my third one. I think my third would be Danny Glover, who would just be gorgeous and intelligent and thoughtful. And naked in a bath. That was a really difficult scene. You mm. think you, your wife and children run in on the... And even if there are some bubbles there, it's never enough. She does put a flannel over his unmentionables before the children get near, to, yeah. in her, to her credit. Yeah. I think social services would be a bit concerned they if would. one of the children talked about bursting in on daddy in the bath. But anyway, yeah, that's my three. But you'd have to say there was a flannel over the unmentionables. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, and then I think, oh, well, that's Samuel L. Jackson. No, I'm going to go with Danny Glover. Okay. So I think he's underappreciated. All right. Uh, you can go back in time to stop someone being born. Who is it? Much like Desert Island Discs, I'm giving you Hitler. Oh, you've given me Hitler. Yeah, you yeah. have. I could stop someone being born. Well, that's mean. It is mean. You mean it's like a mean actor, question. Or... I'm just thinking of the Terminator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can stop John Connor if you wish to have robots ruling everything. I did like that actor who played... Um... Edward Furlong. No, I liked him too, though. He was very mm. good. Um, who was the actor who played... Who, Michael Bean, he was also in Aliens. He's lovely. He's lovely. Yeah. He's a bit like Matthew Modine. I think he never quite... Although I think he's better than Matthew Modine. Yeah. Charm. I think he was brilliant and he never really got as big as he should have done. I can't say what I really think because it'll be seen as BBC, a bias because I can just think of politicians. That I'm right. To, I might have to reserve... Oh, right, OK. Well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll park that one. Park that one. And when you go and work for ITV, I'll ask you again. <laughs> uh, 
A hypothetical fist fight takes place between Rocky Balboa and John Matrix from Commando. Who wins? From which one? From Commando? From Commando. So it's Arnie again fighting. Oh, of course it'll be um, Rocky. Yeah. Yes. I've never even seen Commando. He's a pugilist. Do you know, when I lived in LA, there was a book called LA Hot and Hip, and it was like reviews of all the cool restaurants, and it reviewed the restaurant that Arnold Schwarzenegger owned, and it said it had the filthiest toilets you had ever been in. And I, wow. I always think of that, and I think, you know, you were that rich, and you couldn't even keep the toilets clean in your restaurant, but tourists were going to turn up. I'm, I'm hoping people left reviews saying, I won't be back. <laughs> I would have done that. And finally, if you had to make your own 80s action movie, what would it be about, and who would be the lead? Oh, well, I suppose it would be about... Oh, it's so tempting to say it'd be something Me Too related. I know. I think I could say you could go back and stop the birth of Harvey Weinstein and see what would happen. That's because good. who would be championing independent cinema? You know, there are obviously there are things that he did that... He did good things. That were good. He did very, very bad things yeah. to get the good things done. Um, so what was the last question again? Uh, if you had to make your own act- 80s action movie, what would it be about and who would be the lead? The lead would be Gene Davis. Yeah. And Angela Bassett. Double Ooh, lead. Dream double team. Double lead. Dream team. I like team. that. And, well, I was always, there's a, there's a Wonder Woman comic from the 70s, which I loved, which is when Wonder Woman discovers she has a twin sister called Nubia. I know, I know it's probably a bit dodgy calling her Nubia, but um, <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. And I think it was something like it would be an 80s version of Wonder Woman because they'd have the big hair mm. and, um, and they would be battling. And it would be... And they'd be battling sexist men. That'd be really. There'd have to be a lot of sequels. Yeah, that'd be good. They'd make that now. Well, you saw what they did with. Um, what was the film they made after Wonder Woman, which had Amazons in it, and it and they'd got a man to direct it, and all the oh, Justice League had been put into sexy mm. leather bikinis instead of the really athletic outfits that. They'd yeah, I, th- I the think they would started making Justice League during pre post production on Wonder Woman, so it hadn't come out. But all the costumes so, were changed, and they'd all changed into a kind of sexy babe. She had a smaller skirt as well, and all the women were suddenly big bodybuilders as well, rather than being normal women. Well, because... no, no, no. In the first film, they were they were members of the Olympic team, weren't they? Yeah, but I think in the Justice League ones, there's there's a couple in there who are just like ridiculously huge women that weren't Maybe. in Wonder Woman. But everyone else just looks like Zack Snyder, kind of it, who was the director, is obsessed with muscly people doing karate. It's funny, I interviewed him about Justice League and I don't remember talking about that thing. You know, I saw, what was that film which, um, again, it's a Zack Snyder one, is it Batman v Superman? Yeah. Um, where there's that alien spacecraft and stuff in it. And I remember watching it at Centre Parks last summer with my father-in-law, who's a retired industrial chemist. <laughs> and he was really fascinated by what the chemical might be. <laughs> and it was a completely different perspective watching these sci-fi films with kind of weird mad scientists in them and with a real scientist who's actually quite intrigued about what kind of alloy it might be because he worked in you know, developing new materials for chemical processes. I love that sort of thing. There's, there are sometimes some YouTube videos where some magazine or website has done a, uh, sci- you know, look, looking at a film via science. Hollywood science. Hollywood there science. Whole, there was a TV series. There was a book of it as well, yeah. Uh, didn't um, Crichton from Red Dwarf have a TV series where they test out things that happened in films to see if they could actually be done? I remember them doing the scene from View to a Kill where Rog is under the water breathing with the tyre. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they did that and it wouldn't work. You would die. You would die. Because I remember seeing one, it was a show called Hollywood Science, it used to be on very late at night on TV, and it was two young, young guys, and they tried to recreate the scene where Cool Hand Luke eats at 50 hard-boiled 50 eggs. Hard-boiled eggs yeah. And they, they created a stomach out of a plastic bag with appropriate acids and put the eggs in. It's not, it was not a pretty sight. I'd imagine not. No, it wouldn't be very Cool Hand after that. <laughs> Uh, what, so what's your action movie called? I see Angela Bassett. Oh, yeah, so it's, um, I don't know. Well, I suppose you'd call it Wonder Women. It's a bit or boring. Me Too, You Too. <laughs> Something like that. Wonder Women. That sounds a bit tame, doesn't it? Yeah, I might be overthinking this. Is yeah. it an action film set now or is it an action film made in the 80s? Well, it can be whatever you'd like it to be. You are the producer. Because it needs a title like Lethal Weapon, which is sort of by itself just a phrase. Mm. But... Um, become something else. Is this going to be like the last couple of times you've been on here? You're going to email me a week later and say... <laughs> Bikini Basel was such a great Bond girl name. It was, it was totally worth the wait. I'm really sorry. That's no, fine. I forgot to prepare this part of it. But I've got most of your answers. You have. You've done, you've done very well. Can I email you my answer later? Yes, if you'd like. Come on, as long as it has Angela Bassett and Gina Davis, what could go wrong? Exactly. You don't even need a title, just a dot. 
Gina Davis, Angela Bassett in. Oh, no, I know what I'd call it. I'd call it ladies, L-A-Y-D-E-E-Z. Because it sounds like it's a joke. Yeah. But actually. They're deadly serious. Yeah. You could put that at the bottom. It sounds like a joke, but they're deadly serious. (laughs) Ladies. Yeah. Samira, thank you so much for coming back again. My pleasure. It's been lovely to have you. And come back to series four to talk about ladies. (laughs) I'm going to go and pitch it. Yeah, go and pitch it to uh, ITV and then you can come back and talk about the BBC. <laughs> Wonderful. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you lose your love And it makes your life turn cold When it tears you apart Hello, ladies and gentlemen, quickly, quickly, we haven't got long. Please listen to the all-new Angela Sandbury podcast. It's a family one. Oh, my God, it's hilarious. There's so much muck in it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.